Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. This morning, I'm going to take a sermon in a different direction. I have never particularly preached on this specific topic. You've seen me address it around tithes and offerings. Although this message is not necessarily uh, geared strictly towards finances, it has to do with generosity. And I think if we're all really, really honest with ourselves, most of our prayers are somewhat either directly or indirectly about finances. Am I the only one uh, in the room? Can I see a show of hands in some form or fashion, when we pray or when we're believing God for something, the central thing or the answer to the prayer could simply uh, be if God would simply answer my prayers in the area of my finances. Amen? And it's hard to be a generous person and it's hard to be a giver when we struggle so much in this area in our own personal lives. And I'm ashamed to say it that many and many of us as Christians who believe in the truth and practice the truth also struggle in this area. However, we all as believers, say all, all of us as a body of believers are called to be a generous people. Say generous. Generous. Not just generous financially, but generous with our time. If our neighbor has a flat tire and we know we want to go out to lunch and we don't want this neighbor to interrupt us, but we pass them by and we, 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 we pass them by when they're in need and we hold back our time through generosity. Amen? And people were not an inconvenience to Jesus. And so it speaks of more than just finances. Generosity speaks of every level of our lives. And I love this scripture in, in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples and how you have love for one another. So the fruit of love is birthed out of generosity. Amen. So people identify a Christian, not based on that little silhouette of a fish that you have on the back of your car. They don't base your Christianity or your faith on the necklace that you wear or the signet that you have on your ring. They base the life of a believer as to whether or not you have love or not. There's another scripture that I really, really love, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I want to teach. I don't want to preach today. Is that okay? I want to simply teach the word of God. So we're going to go over lots and lots of scripture and for some of your references. 1 John 3, 17 says this, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How can we love people when people are an inconvenience to us? How can we truly be followers of Christ when people bother us? I'm preaching to myself this morning. How many, don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many people feel that sometimes people can be an inconvenience and people can be a bother? But the Bible strictly says that when you shut up your heart, how does the love of God truly abide in us? And I think this is one of the biggest reasons the enemy fights us so hard in this area because he knows this area of generosity 
it's either going to reflect God or it's gonna reflect the enemy. It's gonna reflect goodness and holiness or it's going to reflect selfishness. And the enemy knows that this area of generosity is going to impact your family, say my family, my finances, and my sphere of influences. Not only that, but a person who is generous in their lifestyle, not just in their money, but in their lifestyle, is displaying the very nature of God himself. God is a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God is at nature a giver. That's why people spend time hours and sometimes months and years at a time praying for specific needs because they know that by nature you, are, you know him as a giving God, a generous God. The Bible says he loves to give good gifts to his children. No good thing will he withhold to those who love him, for those who love him. Amen. So God is a generous God. Say God is a generous God and I am called to be generous. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. I am getting to know my 10-month-old daughter, Zoe. I love her so very dearly, but I'm getting to know her more and more each and every day. She doesn't talk just yet, but she signals when I have something of hers, she shakes her head no. And what that's saying to daddy is, Mine. Now we have two other kids and Cohen, one of his first words other than daddy was mine. Even when I had stuff that belonged to me, he thought it was his. And he would say it over and over, mine, mine, mine. Because it's in the nature of a human being to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. David said it like this, I was born in iniquity. King David said that in the book of Psalms. And so by nature, God is good and generous, but we having a fallen nature before Christ, right? Amen? Because after Christ, we're born again. We're born selfish, but you're born again generous. I want to say that again. We are born selfish, say selfish, but we are born again generous. And so that's why the Lord is always knocking on our saved heart's door is because he's calling us to be a generous people in every area of our lives. I, I love this in Matthew. I want you to go there if you can, even if you have your phone with you. I would love you to journey with me through the scriptures. And it's about the five loaves and two fish. And there's a few things I want to address in this particular scripture. And it says this, starting at verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, I want, I want you to see this. This is a deserted place, they said, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But watch what Jesus says to them. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. 
Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he blessed it and he broke it. Now that's important that he broke it. He looked up and he broke it and he gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Do you see the collaboration and the partnership? Do you see the corporate work here? Jesus said, you have something to give them. But Jesus takes it, he blesses it, he lifts it, he blesses it, and then he breaks it. And then he has the disciples disperse the food. Now watch this. So they all ate. Now this is 5,000 men and women. I'm not great at math. I'm not a mathematician. But it says it's not including women and children in another scripture. I'm not sure if it says it here. That means if they had one wife, if he had one wife, and one child, that's 50,000 people who ate and were filled. Now watch this, it doesn't stop there. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. How do you have 12 baskets left over from five loaves and two fish? Those of you who are about to fall asleep, I'm gonna wake you up in just one moment. Stay with me. How are 12 baskets left over from five loaves and two fish after 15,000 people just ate from it? I want to minister this morning from the subject called genuine generosity. I want everybody to say that. One, two, three. Genuine generosity. There you go. Thank you for that, Jordan. There are several different mindsets that people have when they think of generosity and being generous. And the first point I can think of is this person who thinks this, I can't afford to give. I want to draw your attention to verse 17. And it's verse 17, it says this, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And I thought to myself, if they would have waited for a perfect opportune time to give, they would have missed the blessing. And God will put little things in your life and in your power simply to see if you're going to be obedient or not. When I, when I hear of a believer, it means to be a believer, right? It means to be a child of God and to walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. God had the intention of blessing the multitudes and filling them and not sending them away. But he also had another intention. He wanted to prove to the disciples that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. He wanted to draw their attention. That's why he said, you give them something to eat. Because we all look at our lives and we think that we have little. But what's little in our hands becomes big in God's hands when we trust him by faith and put it in his hands by faith. Amen? I was thinking of whether or not to share this story with you. It's a very personal story. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly before. Maybe I have. I don't remember the last time. It's probably been several years. Speaking of having a little in your hands, I grew up struggling financially. I was out from underneath my mom's care at about 15 because I was a rebellious teen. Um, if you have a teen, um, there is hope. Say amen to that. <laughs> I was a rebellious teen and I ended up starting a company at about 17 years old. And I remember I was out looking for work. I would do anything. I, would, I, was, paint, I was a painter by trade. Um, I did commercial and residential, all kinds of different types of painting, decorative, custom cars, you name it. 
And I remember for a couple of months, I struggled so badly financially. And I was, I didn't have anything to do. I did everything I knew to do. And so I figured I would pray, right? That's probably a good idea for a believer to pray when they're struggling. And so I'm watching TV and I'm watching this man on TV. Now I knew him to be a man of God. And when he said, there are times when I see the TV and I see some of these pastors and these ministers ask for money. Most of them turned me off, but I knew this was a God moment that God was going to give me an opportunity because it highlighted it wouldn't escape my heart. I knew I had to give this gift. And I, I put this in an envelope. I walk, I'm in an apartment. I lived in a townhome at that time. I'm walking towards the, um, the mailbox, the drop box. And I think to myself, this amount that I've written, don't try this at home. I did not have in my bank. But I knew the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if you sow this seed by faith, your check will not bounce and you will have triple the amount that you had given. I knew it in my heart. I knew it in my spirit that God highlighted this, talking about five loaves and two fish facing five, 15,000 people. As I drop this envelope in the drop box, I'm walking back to my townhome I didn't make it, it's about a five minute walk. I didn't make it back to my townhome before my phone rang three times and it was at least quadruple the amount I had been given. But what's little in our hands becomes big in the master's hands when we take the word of God by faith and we walk by faith and not by sight. Talking about multiplying five loaves and two fish. Amen? And so I hear people all the time saying that they can't, afford to give. But may I suggest to you that you cannot afford not to give. Amen. It's God's giving you an opportunity to do business with him. Amen. In Ecclesiastes, I love this scripture and it's in 11 verse four and it says, he who observes the wind, this is beautiful, he will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. I'm going to say that again. Ecclesiastes 11.4. He who observes the wind will not sow. In other words, when you look at your situation, it's going to give you every excuse in your life not to be a generous person. Circumstances will come up. The enemy will try you really hard and keep you from becoming a generous person because you never look more like God than when you're being a generous person. So it's God giving you an opportunity in seed form to display his glory because we are made in the likeness and in the image of God himself. Can somebody say amen to that? Almost every time without exception, God will call you to be a generous person at inconvenient times in your life. Why do you think it's really difficult to do what is right? It's because God will never create situations where the clouds are moved back, the sun is shining just right, our finances are in place, we're not late to an appointment, so we can't help. You understand? You're going to have situations that arise that is going to make it very difficult for you to step out of our own lives, our own busy schedules, and our selfishness to help someone else. Amen? Somebody say, help someone else. Number two, the mindset of, they give to get. Don't look at your neighbor. It might be them. I'm just kidding. We have a generous people here, amen? Number two is the give to get 
approach. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit. Everybody say nothing. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, all this although this approach works, it works, okay? Somebody say it works. It's selfish in origin, and it has no eternal value. Now, I know you've never done this, including me. Have you ever give to someone to get some type of recognition? Have you ever done something really nice for them, hoping that you would build some type of relationship, and that was kind of birthed out of some type of selfish motive? Oh, come on, I'm the only one. This approach works, and the reason that it does is because the scripture is based on principle. If you sow, you'll reap. If you sow good things in your marriage, you're going to reap good things in return. If you sow financial seed, you're going to reap things in return. But you can do the right thing and have a wrong motive. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. You can do the right thing, but you're doing it out of selfish reason. So this approach, although it works, it is selfish in origin and it has no eternal value. In other words, when you have one last breath in your chest and you leave this earth, there will be no reward for selfish sown motives. Amen. We're only rewarded for eternal motives and things that were done out of a pure heart and a right motive because God sees beyond our religious facades he sees beyond the reasons why we come to church every Sunday. He knows, guys, I know, don't, don't soak down in your seats. Don't. He knows whether or not you're coming to just receive from him or he also knows if you're coming to give glory to him. He knows if you're coming to just get educated spiritually so you can walk in victory or if you're coming solely to throw yourself on the altar to let him know that you are God and God alone. I love you because of who you are, not because of what you have in your hand. I love you just because of who you are, not because you can bless me. Come on. I love you because of who you are, not because you can change my husband. I love you because of who you are, not because you can change my wife. I love you because of who you are, not because I can receive a promotion in my business if I pray hard enough or if I give hard enough or if I do X, Y, Z enough. We come because we love him. Or we should come because we love him. Amen? And when we give to get, it robs us of the sanctity of genuine generosity, which ultimately produces sustaining joy. Sustaining joy. So when we give out of selfishness, although it may produce fruit short-term, it's not long-lived. When you give with a right conscience and a clean heart, it produces a sustaining joy knowing that you've been obedient to God and you've walked in accordance with his word and by the leading of his Holy Spirit. That's what produces lasting joy. I was watching up on the screen earlier um, as the words were up on the screen during worship. It was um, a spring underwater with rocks, I couldn't help but notice that there were no fish. Did anybody, am I just weird? There was no fish, but usually in springs there are fish. I thought to myself, and the Holy Spirit reminded me of something, that in order for a fish to survive, it has to be in the water. So what happens to a fish that's out of water? It will eventually asphyxiate, it'll die. But if you drop it in water, it's like its genius emerges. 
And I thought to myself that there's so many people who are struggling in this room this morning because they are spiritually out of the water in the area of their finances, in the area of how they're being generous and living out their lifestyle in Christ. We were born for his pleasure. We were born for his presence. We were born to collaborate with God. So you can do all the right things with the wrong motives and live frustrated because you are living like a fish out of water, spiritually speaking. Amen? But when you do things out of a right motive and right heart, there will be a sustaining, everlasting joy that bubbles up. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to be a fish in the water. You know, when I think about this give to get approach, I think about also a slot machine. And it's so important that we give out of a love and a devotion for him because we will be rewarded. The Bible says this, those who seek me diligently will be rewarded. But however, when you simply give to get, you will be devoid of any depth of relationship with God. People who don't really love, people who really love God can't help but to give who really love him and are genuinely, radically in love with him. You don't have to preach on any kind of giving or generosity. They understand what has been done for them based on what Jesus did on the cross. They live lives of generosity. And I have to daily remind myself of that when selfishness arises. There was a gentleman who pulled up behind me in the gas station the other day, and I kind of looked at my watch, and I did have some things to do, but I didn't have to be there at a specific set time. My flesh tells me to jump in the car and go. And I think, you know, if you would think after 17 years of walking with the Lord, I would be obedient to the Holy Spirit all the time, but that's just not the case with your pastor this morning. <laughs> However, I fought the flesh and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me to be generous to this man. And so I had, I pulled my vehicle up, I put gas in my gas tank and I had him come in line right after me. And after you begin to live a lifestyle of generosity and giving, you have to understand that God gives you these opportunities, not to just see if you'll trust him. I think that's one factor, but he does it to give you opportunities to bless you like he did with the five loaves and two fish. He wanted to see if these people would be obedient. He wanted to do a miracle, but he also wanted to bless them in return. The blessing in return was the overflow. The blessing in return was 12 baskets full left over. The sacrifice was their faith. Amen. So what opportunities have you been bypassing where God has wanted to use it to bless you and to do a miracle in your life and also to help someone else? Amen. I want to go to point, uh, actually, let's go to Genesis. I want you to go there with me. Um, Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four, in verse three through five. And it says this, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now this is important. Say fruit of the ground. The fruit of the, he brought him an offering. This is a good thing, but he brought it from the ground. Cain brought him an offering out of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. But Abel also brought the firstborn. Now, this is key. Say firstborn. But Cain also, I'm sorry, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Interesting. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. 
Point number three, have to give. Have to give. When you feel the sense that I got to give, I have to give out of obligation. I want you to see this because Cain did it because he had to. Abel did it because he wanted to. And so that being said, God's seen the inward. The Bible says that God looks on the inward heart. Man looks on the outward. God's seen Cain's heart and that it was unclean and that he had to give. So what did he do? He took the fruit. Now, a fruit versus a lamb in those days was dramatically different in cost. Okay? It was their commerce of the day. It, that was their money. They didn't have cash like you and I carry around or a debit card. They had lambs and flocks and goats or fruit. He takes from the ground, speaking of the dirt, and he gives it to God. And then you have Abel who gives the best of his flock. Notice the best. He said firstborn. It was his first. Like when we talk about tithes and we talk about first fruit, he gave to God of his first. Somebody say first. And it said, the Bible says that he respected Abel's sacrifice, but he refused Cain's. And Cain was upset. Amen? I have to be honest with you. I recently, and I'm so glad my wife's not out here at this moment. If she tries to come out of the door, if you would just kind of close. Oh, she's here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to be very honest and vulnerable. And I'm going to give you a practical sense of what I mean by this scripture in Genesis. This is 6,000 years old, this scripture that I'm reading here about Cain and Abel. Not this past Valentine's Day. It was probably three or four. Maybe it was three of them. And I had a very busy day that day. Generally, most of my days are pretty busy. I, I'm off like one day a week or so. So generally, my, my schedule is pretty busy. But that was during a working day, and I don't remember what day it fell on. It was a Wednesday or a Thursday. And so on my way home, I thought I would conveniently stop at not a convenience store, but a corner store like a Walgreens. I did not know that she would know I did that. My wife is very sentimental. She loves gifts. And so, but I found a really good gift, Melanie. It was a really nice gift. It was a bear and it even smelled like chocolate. And to this day, three years later, it still smells like chocolate. I checked it not that long ago. How they made this, I don't know, they dipped it in chocolate. It smells like it spent time at the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. I don't know. And I thought she would be ecstatic that I got her this gift. And I got her chocolates. I got her chocolate bear. And I think I even got her a rose. And, but when I brought it in to my surprise, when she seen it, her smile continue, uh, just quickly turned to a frown. And I couldn't understand why. Now, I spent pretty good money on this particular bear because it smelled like chocolate. How in the world would I have known that she knew that I only spent 10 minutes shopping for this thing? She comes to me and says, you, you spent no effort on this. In other words, I think God gave her the same gift that he has. He, she looked at the inward parts of my heart. <laughs> However, if I would have spent that same amount of money and spent two hours running around for her and found another gift, she would have probably been really happy about it. But the reason why she didn't accept the gift is because I didn't spend much time or efforts going to get the gift. She knew I went out of convenience an obligation, not because I wanted to. And in this scripture right here, 
the reason that God rejected Cain's offering is because he did it out of convenience, not love. And when you do something out of convenience and obligation, well, I have to tithe or there's going to be a curse on my life. Well, that's what Malachi says. But when you give out of that reason, God sees the heart. Somebody say heart. But when you do it out of love and affection for him and a care of his work, a care for his work, God can bless that. And so he, what's important to note is that Cain brought it from the ground, speaking of the dirt. Fruit didn't cost him much. But then Abel gave it of his first fruit, of his first, say first. And he accepted that offering. So now I've learned to spend at least an hour or two because my wife has this special sixth sense as to whether or not I spent time and effort in getting gifts. And so I hit a home run this, um, this past Valentine's, by the way. Amen. Actually, actually what, I, what I got, he's, put, he's, really, he's really putting me on the spot. Okay, so I'll share really quickly. Um, so how many know what Carvel cakes are? I didn't get her Carvel cake. But months ago, she had mentioned that she really, really loved this specific cake that came from Cold Stone. It was a really expensive cake. It's a cake and an ice cream. And it's like, it's shaped, uh, it's, it's got like a, um, what do you call it? Velvet, red velvet cake with ice cream and chocolate ice cream in the middle. She sent me a screenshot of this months ago, a, a good while back. And I, guys, where are my guys at? Do you remember what you had for lunch last week? It's a trial and a tribulation trying to remember what your wife likes. I need that gift to remember. And so I didn't even write it down. You'd be proud of me, ladies. And so I thought about this cake. And so at the end of the day, what I did was I went to Colt. I actually previously ordered it. And even though I'm non-techie, I even actually went online and did the whole thing. And so I brought it home. And so I got, I got lots of brownie points for that. So that's what I got her. I went to Cold Stone and got her some chocolates and things like that. Amen. All the wives say amen. All the women say amen. said, good job. So this is that have to give. And so the Lord knows that when you have genuine love and devotion behind your generosity, and he knows when there's not. Somebody say, he knows. Because God is more concerned with the size of the heart when you give versus the size of the gift. Who can forget the, 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 this is an opposite, this is a scripture that is kind of parallel with it, but two uh, opposite um, heart postures. Who can forget about the lady with the two mites? In Luke chapter 21, it says this, and he looked and saw a rich man putting their gift into the treasury, meaning the offering box, right? And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put more than all. For out of these put in out of their abundance, but this woman out of her poverty put in all of her livelihood. So God does not judge the amount of the gift of your generosity, whatever that looks like. He judges the amount of sacrifice it takes to do it. If a millionaire comes in here and drops $300 in an offering box, and then you have a person who made $250 comes and tithes or gives $5, know this, that that reward for the person who gave the two or $5 or whatever it is, is greater than the millionaires because the sacrifice was greater because God looks at the inward heart, not the outward. 
Amen? Point number four, and I'll close in a few. The get to give approach. The get to give approach. I want to teach you something really quick. I want to go to Malachi chapter three and verse six through 10. I want you to read this with me. Now, I know just now there are many of you who have attended churches for many, many years and you think that I'm going to go to Malachi verse 10 that says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house, right? Who thought that? Come on, raise your hand. Let's be honest. Look at nobody's raising their hands and everybody thought it. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 is a very famous portion of scripture that talks about tithes and offerings. Most churches quote this. However, I'm gonna take a different turn on this. I decided to reverse a little bit and look at the previous verses because I wanted to look at the surrounding text to see exactly what Malachi was trying to communicate. And here's what it says in verse six. First of all, it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. So say, everybody say, the Lord doesn't change. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you are not consumed. In other words, I don't change or I, would, or I would kill you for your sins. This is what he's saying. O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers, watch this, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But watch this. He says, return to me. Say return. He says, but you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. Now watch this. We know what the scripture goes on to say about tithes and offerings. This was absolutely shocking to me, Kelly. He tells them to return to him. Now in my religious mind, and I can think religiously, forgive me sometimes, growing up in the church, you would think that by saying return to me, the first thing he would have said would have been start attending church every single Sunday. That's a good start to return. I want you to start reading your Bible every day, at least one chapter a day. You would have think that he would have asked you to put down the cigarettes or to put down certain habits, certain habitual sins. You would have thought that would have been the return factor. I, you would have expected that from God. But what shocked me was, is the first thing that he says to return is in tithes and in offerings. He doesn't say return to any type of standard of holiness. He says, I want you to return by stop robbing me in your finances. And I wonder to myself, well, why is that? Because the Bible is very clear. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's not necessarily in works and what you do because you can do the right things, like I said before, with the wrong motive and wrong heart. But he's saying what you do with your finances and where it goes first, like with Abel, really is an indicator to me, God, on where your heart truly lies. So he's saying to the church at that time, all the religious leaders, don't just return by going to church, but I think, it, I think what he's saying is if you put your finances in the right place in the hands of our master, it's going to indicate who you truly serve because the Bible says we can't serve two masters. Amen? So that was a very shocking statement that he was making. And I want to give an illustration this morning. If I could get Moses to help me out. I'm just going to move this out of the way so you can all see me. Did everybody get a dime when they, when they got to church this morning? 
I want you to pull the dime out. Hold it nice and high for me. I want to kind of face them a little bit, so we're going to kind of angle them. Can, I, can, you, can you take that off? Okay. Do you have a dime? Yes, sir. Can you clench it in your fist for me? The dime represents a tenth of a dollar. Say a tenth. A tithe is a tenth. And the reason I wanted to give this illustration this morning is because there are many of you who are in this room, one of their biggest struggles is in their finances. Don't let go. I don't want you to open your hand whatsoever. No matter what I do, don't open your hand. Clench it really tight. Represents a tenth. Say a tenth. Now, there are things I want to get to you, Moses. Can you stand a little closer? There are things I want to get to you, but you simply won't open your hand. Okay, now give it. Give it. Give it. Now receive. Now give it. Now receive. Now give it. Now receive. Now give it. The reason people are struggling in their finances is because they're holding on what belongs to God. And the reason that God asks you to give is not so that you can just give just to be obedient servants and be subservient to him because he's a giver and he wants to give to you so you can give it back. He wants to give to you, not just in your finances. He wants to give to you in your family. He wants to give you more peace. He wants to give you more joy. He wants to give you overflowing in every area of your life so that you can be a blessing, not just to your family, but to your communities, to your workplaces, to your family, every sphere of influence in your life. So God is, what God is saying in this, go ahead, you can give it all. What God is trying to say with this 10th thing is not, it's not just about us being obedient to, our, to, to God himself. It's because he's giving an opportunity every single week when someone gives their 10th to the church. When you take care of God's business, he sees to it personally. He takes personal responsibility to give back to you. And if you go on to read on, it says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will, will men even give unto your bosom? And I can tell you this, church, if you'll just stand to your feet with me as I minister, you, minister to you for a moment about this. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.